Investment products are not FDIC-insured, not a bank guarantee, and may lose value. Please read other important information, which can be found on the link at the end of the podcast episode. Good evening. As I sit here now, and it's around one in the morning, Democrats have picked up somewhere between 30 and 35 seats in the House based on the latest estimates. So while Republicans did pick up three seats in the Senate, uh, I think it's fair to say when you look at the House in isolation, this is the worst House retention by a sitting president in 100 years. Uh, And we've got a chart in this week's Eye on the Market to explain what we mean by that. Uh, Adjusting for economic conditions and asset prices, this is the worst House retention by a sitting president in 100 years. And I think we're all generally familiar with the fact that the economy is doing pretty well and the stock market's doing well. What we did is empirically measure how well. So we looked at inflation, uh, changes in, in unemployment, the level of unemployment, what's what happening with stock market, uh, what was happening with home prices, both in nominal and real terms. And when you put all the numbers together – there, we've got this bubble chart that shows that while there has been, while there's been uh, midterm elections with larger numbers of seats lost by the president's party, for sure, uh, none of them ever occurred in the general zip code of where the economy and the stock market are today. Uh, we can all make our own judgments as to what we think that means, but I think uh, when you look at the chart, you'll see why I drew the conclusion that I did, which was that uh, this was the the GOP on paper should have been able to retain the House, um, uh, which is what happened in the past when economic and market conditions were this good. So um, I, there's there's no way to escape the fact that this is a referendum of sorts on the president. And now our job is to figure out what the implications are for the stock market and for general investments. After midterms, over the last 30, 40 years or so, the stock market's actually done pretty well. The average price return on the S&P has been about 14% in the year following the midterm elections. Um, The economy looks pretty good. GDP growth is up 3% for the first time since 2015. Job growth and wage growth look good. Corporate profits are up over 15%, even when you take out the benefit of the tax cuts. And after the sell-off in October, the stock market valuations are not ridiculously high. They're just high. Um, And also it looks like hedge funds have some pretty large short positions on, which is also bullish from a technical perspective. Even with all that, uh, I don't think uh, we're going to get the kind of returns in the wake of this midterm election that we had in prior ones. And in this week's Eye on the Market, we explain – A few reasons why. Uh, Mostly the usual suspects here when you look at um, the budget deficit, I I don't see where there's room for more fiscal stimulus. Uh, Even if there's bipartisan support for an infrastructure deal, there's no bipartisan money for an infrastructure deal. Um, And uh, the latest CBO projections are, are pretty horrific in terms of where the debt and the deficits going. And this is at you know the peak in economic cycle, and we still have a budget deficit in the neighborhood of um, 4 or 5%. Um, the other piece of this is over the next year, the Fed's going to hike probably five more times by the end, until, until the end of 2019. At least that's our firm's projection. That's not that aggressive a call. It would simply put the funds rate back to around 1% over the rate of inflation, where it used to be for most of the post-war period. 
So that's a headwind. Um, we can all imagine in our own minds the headwinds that might come from some kind of constitutional crisis, why it happens, when it happens, how it happens, who knows. But that, that's a risk that wasn't present in other post-midterm periods. And uh, in, in our piece this week, we have revived the chart that we put together that looks at the detailed uh, stock market and misery index trends during the Nixon era. And even when you strip out all of the negative stock market changes that were happening because of inflation and unemployment, there was a sharp 12 to 15% drop um, around the Saturday Night Massacre that was unrelated to all that. So uh, that's our way of trying to isolate the political risk associated with constitutional crises. While the administration will probably continue its deregulatory agenda, because that never really involved the legislature in the first place, the benefits are hard to measure. I think that they are real over the long term. The the right balance between regulation and deregulation is can can have very impactful benefits for the economy. But right now, I think the cyclical forces are more impactful. And specifically, if you end up with a president who's hamstrung by the House and feels cornered, one of the other things he can do unilaterally in terms of policymaking is tariffs. Now, he could go one of two directions here. He could step back from trade conflict with China, and that would probably give a positive jolt to global equity markets uh, after a year of uncertainty around trade. Um, I think the chances are a little bit more than 50-50 that the trade warriors within the administration win the day. Uh, when we look at the fine print and the trade deal with Mexico, it, it, we're, and we read in between the lines, it looks like there are auto tariffs and quotas coming next year, uh, mostly applied to combination of uh, Mexico, Europe, and Japan. And we've got the, another round of tensions coming with China related to what the final round of tariff increases are and some actions the U.S. has taken recently with respect to intellectual property theft in the semiconductor business. Uh, the U.S. administration has... Uh, an enormous amount of leverage on China, not just from issues around tariffs, uh, but China relies very heavily on U.S. semiconductor chips and equipment in ways that people might not appreciate. Uh, China imports an equal amount in dollar terms of chips and equipment from the U.S. and Japan. But when you look through and you look at the details, they matter. Um, When you look at microprocessor chips for PCs and servers, uh, graphics processors used for artificial intelligence and deep learning, network chips for cloud data centers, smartphone cellular processor chips, autonomous car processors, and and electric vehicle power management chips. All of those chips uh, come from mostly from U.S. companies that have anywhere from 75 to 99% market share. So the administration does have leverage here as it relates to Chinese reliance on on U.S. technology, and um, I, I do think that the president is going to use it. And so um, that's that's another headwind to think about over the next few months. What's the positive? Well, I think healthcare stocks are may benefit from gridlock. Why? Well, left to their own devices, meaning control of of both houses. Each party might make more substantial changes uh, to things that would affect biotech, large cap pharma, managed care, and hospitals. So, and we all know what those issues are. Uh, and and gridlock 
dramatically reduces the chances that any of those things happen and give the healthcare stocks a little bit, another couple of years to breathe and, and react. Um, what does all this tell us about the 2020 presidential election? Well, that's a topic that we will address in this year's holiday on the market, which comes out in December. Um, the bottom line is that uh, this was a, a very poor showing adjusted for market and economic conditions by the GOP. Uh, but I'm not sure if it means that much from an investor's perspective. And a lot of the themes that we wrote about in the last in the last couple of eye on the markets are uh, are still, I think, the more important cyclical forces that are facing investors right now, which is a combination of strong economic growth, strong job growth, strong profits growth, but uh, a rising cost of capital and falling valuations, uh, which puts the prospects for returns on diversified portfolios in the single digits for the foreseeable future. Um, That's it for now. I look forward to talking to everybody again soon. Michael Semblist's Eye on the Market offers a unique perspective on the economy, current events, markets, and investment portfolios, and is a production of J.P. Morgan Asset and Wealth Management. Michael Semblist is the chairman of Market and Investment Strategy for J.P. Morgan Asset Management and is one of our most renowned and provocative speakers. For more information, please subscribe to the Eye on the Market by contacting your J.P. Morgan representative. If you'd like to hear more, please explore episodes on iTunes or on our website. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is a communication on behalf of J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments Incorporated, a member of FINRA and SIPC. Views may not be suitable for all investors and are not intended as personal investment advice or as a solicitation or recommendation. Outlooks and past performance are never guarantees of future results. This is not investment research. Please read other important information, which can be found at www.jpmorgan.com disclaimer eotm.